Hello, Seasons Podcast listeners. You are in the right place at the right time. I'm your host, Lauren D. McCoy. And today, in this moment, we are kicking off our series on parenting. So I have Those of you that listened to our love and marriage series, I hope you enjoyed it. And this series is going to be kicked off by my family. So I've been asking my husband for months and months to be on my podcast. And he was like, no, I'm good. And so finally, I found a moment that he was like, yes, to. But the catch is he wouldn't do it without his siblings. So you get to hear this moment with the McCoy siblings titled Growing Up McCoy. They're going to be talking about life growing up in the military with their parents and just how they were raised and how their parents influenced their parenting. And I hope you like it. Let's dig in. Well, welcome to Seasons, McCoy siblings. How are y'all doing? We're doing very well. Doing good. Yay. So we have four of the five McCoy siblings. We are missing the oldest, which is Horace McCoy Jr. He's a executive businessman, so he was not able to be part of this. So let's start with why I asked you guys to be part of Seasons. Uh, as, as you know, I'm starting a series on parenting and all of you are parents. All of you have the same similarity of having the same parent parents um, that I feel they did a good job with you guys. You guys are all very unique in your own way. Um, you have a lot of similarities. And I was like, I think to start off my moment, my series on parenting, I'll have the McCoy siblings come on and just talk about what it was like growing up, uh, what they learned from their parents, uh, give some encouragement to others that that are embarking on the parenting lifestyle uh, and even grandparenting because all except one are grandparents, right? So I thought that would be interesting. So I wanted to open up this series with some of my family. So we're going to start with the youngest, okay? We'll start with the youngest. He's going to introduce himself and give us a little background information. And then you guys already know what category you fall under after the youngest. So youngest to oldest, go ahead. Sounds good. I'm David McCoy. I'm 36 years old and was born in the Antelope Valley. I am am I'm married. I've been married now 10 years, going on 11 in April. And uh, we have two children, uh, a son that just turned seven, and then my oldest daughter is going to be 10 in May. And so uh, I'm currently working as a uh, pastor, uh, doing weddings and funerals on behalf of a senior pastor, and then as well, uh, the church body at large and my local church body. And, uh, you know, I was born and raised in the Antelope Valley. And I honestly have to say, the Oakland Raiders claim that they're the black hole, but the Lancaster, California AV is the black hole because I've been trying to get it and I cannot get out. <laughs> so uh, that's where I uh, uh, preside and stay and remain. And we'll give you a little bit more insight about that, you know, with our parents and how all that worked out. All right, who's next? 
Um, Michael McCoy. Uh, I am 49 years of age. Um, I am married with five children, four boys, one girl. Uh, our oldest is 31. We have a 26-year-old, 25-year-old, 23-year-old, and a 15-year-old. Uh, we have been married for 16 years, but we've been together for 20, uh, 22 years. So um, I am a retail clerk at Smith. I work night crew, which is a fun shift in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, and I was born in Florida, but grew up in California. Right on. So we respect you, Michael, for letting us have some of your sleep time. <laughs> so. Not a problem, not a problem. <laughs> Next, who do we have? I guess that's me. I'm Larry. I'm the middle child. Um, that's my husband, y'all. Okay, good. <laughs> Uh, 56 years of age, born in 1966. Um, marital status is all of the above. And Mary, <laughs> what are you all of what above? You, you can't be single. Oh, well, not single. I'm sorry, not single. <laughs> married, divorced. What is your status of relationship right now, Larry? I'm married right now. <laughs> He's adding all kinds of flavor in this season session, isn't he? <laughs> just saying. Wow. I'm just bouncing around all the different seasons that she's gonna have. So. Um, I have I have a total of six kids, ages 29, 27, 20, 18, 9, and 7. Um, have one granddaughter, and her birthday is actually coming up here real soon. So that's that's cool. Um, I was born in Blavel, Arkansas, and uh, what else am I supposed to say right now? Is that it on my introduction? Sure, Larry. Um, so, Larry, y'all, this is a secret, <laughs> but it's not a secret because y'all probably already know your brother anyway. He uh, didn't want to be on seasons at all. Like, I tried to get him nope. to come on so many moments, and he was like, no, <laughs> no. Nope. And so finally, I was like, well, how about I have all the siblings on and then you come and join them? And he was like, well, I guess. So thank you, Larry, for, for being <laughs> part of my show. Because so, he always has he always has something to say about it, though. He well, I have ideas for you. Moment, but he don't have to be on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we so, in here now. Yeah. Right, big Brody. I hear you. So who's so next? Exactly Larry. What's that, Michael? Is he executive producer? No. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> he has an EP. <laughs> I got you. I got you. All right. Who comes after Larry? Okay. Hi, everybody. I am Sandra McCoy. I am the only girl uh, with four brothers. Uh, I know Larry says that he's the middle child, but we have like three sets of uh, family, I, I would say. So I was the middle child in the beginning because <laughs> there were three of us. Um, I'm 57 years old. I was born in 1964. I am divorced. I have three children and one grandson and one on the way, one grandchild on the way. Uh, so I have a 27-year-old, a 30-year-old, and a 31-year-old. And then I have two 
uh, a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law who I also call my my children as well. Um, I, like Larry, I was born in Blytheville, Arkansas. Um, I am a writer, a speaker, a prayer warrior, and an HR consultant. Um, <laughs> and that's what I'm doing right now. Right yes. on, Sam Sam. We call her Sam Sam. Y'all can't call her that, but we call her Sam. <laughs> um, and so then somebody somebody just tell us about Junior. Where's where was Junior born and how old is Junior? So Harris is the oldest. Um Harris is help me out here. Is he fifty eight or fifty nine? He just had a birthday. Okay, so yeah, he just had a birthday, so he's fifty nine. That's right. Yeah, he's 59. <laughs> And was Horace born in Blyville too? He was born yeah. in Blyville. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. three of you were born in Blyville. One of you was born in Florida, and then one was born in California, right? Yes. Got it. All right. So thank you for those introductions. And can you just give somebody can volunteer? Probably David, because probably I don't know. We'll decide. Um, give us a little history, like where your parents grew up, um, what kind of lifestyle they had. Who are your parents? Yeah, so let me give you the vantage point from the baby child. My parents had me at 42. So um, with that being said, that was just a unique situation, uh, having nieces and nephews the same age as me, as we heard. And so uh, my vantage and uh, situation with this was kind of, uh, unique, if you will, to say the least, because uh, my I have parents that's been there, done that, right? And so, um, you know, uh, the, the baby child usually gets uh, the, the the label as if they're they're spoiled. And I know my siblings gonna say, "Yeah, you boy, you were spoiled," but uh, my my upbringing wasn't that way. They've been there, done that, and seen it, and all that under the sun. And so, from what I remember, mom and dad. Um, my dad was in the military um, and if it wasn't for my sister uh, Sister San San pleading and crying and saying dad I'm tired of moving and all this jazz uh, we would have been in Hawaii I would have been born in Hawaii uh, but uh, I was born in the wilderness <laughs> so, uh, but my parents were hardworking, faithful, God-fearing parents that, you know, uh, literally what you saw at church and in and out, uh, from my vantage point, was what I saw at home. And uh, their intention was always for us to know Christ. And so the work ethic, uh, uh, just being a Christian young child at the time and then growing up to be a young man was their goal for my life. And uh, that's something that I'm just so grateful for that I'm trying to carry on as a legacy. But that's my vantage point. Uh, I know my other siblings can give you a little bit more background on my parents. Right on. Sandra, what's your vantage point? Yeah, I'll give you the vantage point. So um, my mom and dad both were looked at as the parents for their siblings. Um, my mom raised her siblings and my dad basically raised his siblings as well. They both didn't really have a presence of a father. So my dad's dad was present, you know, physically, but not, you know, all the time. Uh, he suffered from, from an addiction. And uh, with regard to my mom, she never knew who her dad was. 
but uh, I like to say that my mom and dad were born to be parents or they, you know, they really did uh, work very hard to take care of their family. My mom uh, did hair, she picked cotton, and she used that money to take care of her siblings. And then my dad, he uh, was supposed to go into professional baseball, but he gave that up to go into the Air Force so that he could take care of his family. Wow. Uh, my dad always worked very hard when he was uh, young. And with that money, he would give it to his mother so that she could provide for their family. So uh, my dad's always been a hard worker. Um, with us, uh, he would always make sure that our mom was home with us so he would work two and three jobs just so that my mom could be home with us. Right. So, yeah. That's awesome. And you're, I love hearing, like, when I see your mom or when we've spent time together, just hearing her stories of how she grew up. Like, it amazes me. Like, she went through some stuff. She, she learned a lot of things. And I can see how her upbringing turned into her parenting, you guys. So... It's only by the grace of God, for sure. Um, Indeed. So how did your parents parent, Michael? Um, well, I know with me, it's probably a different perspective because there is some gap between uh, my older siblings. Like, I'm nine years, seven, and six years younger than my siblings. So for me, I think a lot of ground rules were established <laughs> prior to uh, me coming along. So maybe some of these deep cutting that my siblings had to endure, I didn't have those same obstacles. <laughs> and with me, it was a precedence that was already set with how things were, what expectations were with my parents, the roles that they had. Um, my friends and associates associated me as being in a strict household. <laughs> Which, for me, it didn't seem that way because those were basically the roles that we had. So for me, it was the expectation. I guess that's the best way to say I didn't see it as being strict. I looked at it as my parents caring for me and looking for me to want to be successful in life. So for me, um, with parenting, you know, my parents didn't drink, they didn't smoke, um, no profanity. Uh, things that we watched on TV was definitely PG, PG and G. So those things like that, I didn't realize at that time. But those are things that molded me into the person and the parenting that I uh, did as well. So uh, as far as discipline, um, my parents, it was fairly rods for the child. Um, we don't have that nowadays in our society where they view it as abuse in some aspects but uh with us it was that's what kept us straight that's what kept us on the path of being out of trouble um as you can see thank god uh, none of our siblings and myself have been in any trouble you know with the law we obey <laughs> the rules um which is great you know nowadays you have to kind of be, be more safeguarded with your own children because uh, those parameters are in place Right on. Thank you, Michael. And Larry, same question. How did you, how did your parents parent you? Because you guys, you and Michael aren't the same. So what's your perspective of 
how your parents were raised, discipline, church, goals, um, structure? Well, our, our our lifestyle was our lifestyle. And so, um, you know, we, we grew up in a strict home. Um, you know, whatever our parents said, that's what we did. And um, we didn't argue, you didn't talk back to them. You just did it. Um, if we complained about it in our own room, somehow mom and dad could hear it and they they would know that we were saying stuff that uh, <laughs> contrary to what they were saying. But we just knew that, um, you know, our parents loved us. Um, I, I wouldn't call it they were hard on us, but they did hold us to standards and to beliefs which were um, um, which they showed to us. Um, when I think I don't remember which one of you, Michael or David, said that um, our parents didn't, my dad or our parents didn't smoke, use profanity, or any of that. Um, well, during the three of us, the older three, our dad used to smoke, and his mother actually smoked as well. And then um, I remember one day we were watching a commercial, and there's a commercial that came on from the American Heart Society or something like that. And it was a commercial about smoking. And if you smoke, you're going to die. And so the three of us went running into my parents' room crying. And my dad was like, what's wrong with you guys? And we're like, well, we don't want you to die. We don't want you to die. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? Well, if you smoke cigarettes, you're going to die. And from that day forward, my dad never smoked a cigarette. And he even told his mother when she was coming out to visit, if you smoke, you cannot smoke in my house. And so he made her go out on the back porch to go smoke. Um, so the things that they instilled in us were things that we saw them do as well. So it wasn't do as I say, not as I do. Um, but I think, you know, and everybody knew, all of our friends knew how our parents were. So um, it, it, they knew that. And so they still accepted us as friends. And they knew that foolishness that they did, they couldn't come over our house trying to do that because it just didn't fly in the McCoy household. Right. And Larry, how how many different, how, what's the age gap between you and Michael? So me and Michael is six years, I believe. Six, right, Mike? Yeah, yeah, six years apart. Yeah, we're six years apart. And then me and David are 18 years apart. Yeah, yeah I know. um so thank you for sharing guys and then so tell me what it was like like because my or david you weren't sorry i'd be getting the names mixed up but um david you weren't around when your dad was in the military correct nope i was uh you know born after they retired and you know (laughs) to a degree i witnessed them helping out in ministry they literally uh supported uh you know the the lead pastor uh from the church that we grew up at and uh my dad you know felt as if you know well the god god called him to ministry to help him build and labor and support and to a degree be the assistant uh, to the senior pastor so what my witness was was not the military lifestyle but the uh, ministry church uh in god's armies uh lifestyle and so um there's a lot of things that i've been just reminded of that wow that was mom and dad that was their legacy and uh, it gives me even more of a deep appreciation for uh, what they've endured what they've accomplished and you know like how 
uh, to a sense, I, 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 you know, made their lives a little bit difficult because I was the one, like as my older siblings were saying, they didn't have the ability to say no and uh-uh and mm-mm, mom. I, on the other hand, that's the throne. I was the one on that simple stuff, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, I really pushed the envelope. But then because uh, my, my brother, 13 years older than me, Michael, uh, he was kind of like that father figure, but a blend of a brother and, you know, sibling uh, kind of relationship. So when he would tell me, hey, man, you can't be dis- disrespected, mom and dad like that. Uh, there was a deeper appreciation of it because he was going through it, but then also had a reverence of experience to kind of say, hey, no, we can't do that, man. Right. You know, so um, he would break it down in bite size of why I shouldn't and how could I? So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And so Sam San and Larry, can you guys tell us about the military life growing up? Because you guys were the ones that were part of the traveling military McCoy lifestyle, right? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, it's almost like living in a different world. Um, It's like you're on your own isolated island. But what I when we look back and think about it, what I realized was a lot of the things that, you know, were required of us. If we did anything that went against um, the military, it would cost my dad stripes. You know, it would cost him his pay grade. And so there had to be this level, this high level of standard for us to behave, uh, you know, and my dad was also a pastor during the time too. So both of those, (laughs) you know, impacted the way that we really had to behave in life. Um, But for me, I loved living on the, in the Air Force Base, you know, um, however, when you go out into the real world, you're like, oh my gosh, this is what the real world is like. <laughs> I remember, you know, Michael going to school and, um, you know, some of the things he had to endure at school that we found out about later. Um, we didn't have to deal with that when we were on the, on the Air Force Base. You know, there was a high standard where the students and the parents had to, you know, be on their best behavior. And you didn't really hear about a lot of nonsense going on, you know. Um, I remember we did get caught a couple of times, and I'm not, oh, I think Larry will probably be able to shed some light on this, but we used to drive our VW uh, bug to school. (laughs) And Larry's laughing. And we couldn't, we couldn't look It wasn't a bug. What? It wasn't okay. a bug, it was a bus. Right. The van, that was a, yes. yeah. yeah. Uh, so we used to drive that, it was stitch shift, and I think Harris was driving it, and we weren't allowed to listen to music. And so we're driving this thing. Wait, we're, you weren't allowed to listen to music ever or allowed to listen to music in the car? We could only listen to Christian music. Oh, okay. okay. So no secular music. And so, um, or non-Christian music, let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> And so we happened to be listening to it in the car. And we always used to change the radio station before we got home. (laughs) Except for the one day when we did it. (laughs) And boy, did we hear about it. (laughs) Whose responsibility was it to change the station back? The driver or the passenger? 
It was everybody's responsibility because nobody wanted to get in trouble. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, funny. Yeah. Well, so, the, the, what about you growing up in the military, being a military kid? I mean, I I was a, I, my dad's in the military, so I understand the the label that's put on you, the expectation. But we never lived on military bases, so I don't have that. Larry. But the, the the to tail off of Sandra's story, the worst part of that whole deal was it happened on a Friday, and I think my dad got into the van on Saturday morning and heard the music. So he called us all together and said, hey, what do y'all listen to when you uh, when you drive to school and drive back home? And we said, oh, we listen to um, the Christian radio station. I forgot the numbers. And we told him the station and we told him what we listened to. He goes, oh, well, I got in the van and turned it on and it was on and he said the station. And it was a, it was an AM station. We lived in the Antelope Valley. You couldn't get FM radio out there so it was an am station and we left it up loud and so my dad asked us about a song and we said yeah we know that song and he told us on saturday you guys are going to get up in church on sunday and sing this song to the congregation (laughs) and so just knowing how our dad is and he was a man of his word so we had to deal with all day saturday thinking about we have to do this tomorrow on Sunday. And then when we went to church, we went to church Sunday at 9.30 a.m. with Sunday school. 11 o'clock was morning worship. 5.30 p.m. was BTU. And 7 o'clock p.m. was evening worship, evening service. So he didn't make us do it at 9.30. He didn't make us do it at 11 o'clock. So then we go home and we're still like, it's gonna happen. And so it just ruined the whole weekend because we're waiting for that moment in time when he's going to call us up to sing these songs. Um, and he never did. So that was yeah, the lesson. You should have just used that as your advantage to listen, continue listening. Like, we got to practice. So we got to. Oh listen. my gosh. No, that's. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, the no, thing that's... is, the funny part about that is, um, I don't know if Michael uh, slipped up, but I, I was slipping, falling, and can't get up moment. And it happened to be on a Thanksgiving. Uh, day with family there and my dad goes and you know moves the car so that you know my, my siblings could come in you know and, and park in in the driveway and my dad you know had the key to the car turn it on moved the car and you know I had subwoofers at the time and you know I was I had this infatuation about you know installing speakers and linking them all up and all that stuff and uh, my dad turns on the song and he asked me, hey, uh, who's this uh, 25 cent character you'd be listening to? I was like, uh, uh, you mean 50 cent? And he said, yeah, come out here in the front and uh, let's talk about a little something, something, you know? What, what are you listening to? And the song, you know, it's 50 cent and Justin Timberlake, AO Technology of all things. And so uh, I don't remember when, it was probably, you know, after Y2J or Y, you know, uh, Y2K and all that and so of all things uh, my life in that moment on Thanksgiving was shut down so because of my you know testing the waters and all that stuff but I, the truth will come I to life I didn't have a car situation because uh, I was smart enough to get a detachable face to radio player so I always had my radio pulled in my car so I never had to worry about music 
But there was one Saturday that uh, Dad had come home early from church. They had a meeting and he came home early from church. And I went to the bathroom, I came out of the bathroom, and I had left the channel on Soul Train. <laughs> My dad says, what are you watching? <laughs> so I got in trouble one time and uh, I never, I didn't have to do anything in regards to uh, being questioned about, you know, having to stand up in front of church or anything of that nature, but boy, he just said, you don't need to be watching this, what are you watching this for, and whatnot. So from that day on, I didn't watch any more Soul Train, because I was like, man, that was just not good, the conversation I wanted to have with Dad. So question, do you all allow your children now, or when they were, gro- when they were growing up, to listen to things other than Christian music? Uh, yes, we do in our household. So, I mean, that's just something that they know, like, things that are, like, profanity and things of that nature, the grading kind of stuff. They get the, the quick look from mom first. My solo doesn't go for that. And if they come over here, she's like, you better turn that off before you turn around the corner and come to our house. And you come in our neighborhood, I don't want to have any kind of loud music or anything playing like that. So, for them, we kind of give them their space in that regards but they do govern in the presence of mom and dad definitely what they allow us to do right right david the youngest some kind of uh, yeah so the most exposure they get are the uh you know the youtube commercials or the movies you know disney-esque you know the how they have that going on in the background uh, you know, whenever they go to gymnastics or you know, even at music lessons, uh, the kids, they'll hear, you know, some of that music. And my youngest son is like, Dad, that ain't no Christian music right there. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah, no, son. You know, it's going to be all good. You like the, like the beat and all that? And he's like, yeah, I like that beat. But that's not Christian music. And so I have, have a little conversation with him about that just to give a little balance, a little perspective about it. But uh, what we play, what we listen to is pr- predominantly uh, Christian music. And so, you know, my son loves playing drums and all that is uh, what you about to say, Larry. <laughs> so David, David, mom and dad had him taking dance class. And oh, so another man was tap dancing. And so we're over at the house. Wait, David was tap dancing. Yeah, David used yeah, to tap dance. And so our parents, yeah. so my parents are like, "Hey, you know, they're all excited. You know, David's in tap. Here, David, show them what you know how to do." So they turn the music on. David's dancing, and I'm sitting there like, "This boy is doing the Running Man." <laughs> and mom and dad had no clue whatsoever. <laughs> they just thought he picked up some dance stuff, and I'm like, "This boy got these people." snowed <laughs> yeah you know i was smooth with the moves you know what i'm saying and that tap dance was and that's the exposure you know what i'm saying they weren't playing no christian music so you know you had to get down you had to put it down uh and, and, and click clack and tap and again all you those, can't uh, tap dance to amazing grace how sweet the sound <laughs> that doesn't have a beat larry <laughs> do your children that's the tapper's children, responsibility right Larry does your do your children listen to uh, secular music yes my kids listen to secular music not by my choice but because they go to public schools and oh my gosh they come home saying stuff and I'm like where did you hear that at 
and it's i mean they they get it all the time so for us we have to like you know monitor and you know have conversations like so oh then langston did dance and what's that song gonna take my horse to the old town road or ride until i can't no more or whatever that boy just sung that song all the time I had never even heard the song, so I had to go on YouTube and pull it up with lyrics. And I accidentally pulled up the wrong one. No, what happened was Langston was practicing, and he said, Dad, can you put the song on? And then Larry put the wrong song on, the wrong version. Yeah, so they saying, and I'm like, oh my gosh. So, but it's, um, um, It's it's interesting today's world, you know, because they have they just have free access to stuff. And even at the school, the school doesn't monitor what they get. And then, you know, I'm sure kids are bringing their um, I was going to say Walkman tells you how old I am. Kids are bringing their devices to school and playing music and stuff. And so they hear it. So it's on us to just be on top of it and, and do the best we can to teach them and monitor what they listen to. All right, thank you for that bit. Uh, Miss San San, tell us how it is being the only girl because I'm the only girl with six brothers. You're the only girl with four brothers. So tell us how that how that worked out for you. Um, you know what? It has it has its positives and then it also has its negatives. <laughs> so so the positive thing um, was I have a brother that's older than me, who is Horace, and a brother that's younger than me, Larry, when we, you know, when it was just the three of us. And when I would go to high school, you know, Horace had forged the way. And then when um, Horace would leave, Larry was right there behind, you know. I always knew I had a big brother that must have said something to people (laughs) at school. Uh, And so, you know, no one really messed with us. And, you know, I didn't get any dates either because I don't know who said something, Larry or Horace or both. <laughs> but well, people thought people thought you and I were dating because we were always together. The people that didn't know we were brothers and sisters. Right, right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, as soon as I would say who my brother, who my older brother was to any guy, they would dart the other way. So I think Horace must have said something. But... <laughs> That's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, 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 messes that messes up your dating game. And, you know, even my dad, when, uh, you know, I worked on the Air Force Base, and when I would tell people who my dad was, like the, the airmen, they were like, oh, okay, that's okay, bye. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, even David, my youngest brother, tries to... Yeah, um, buddy you know, manage, manage my dating life too. <laughs> they got to look out for you. That's, that's the way it's supposed to be. And so I hear a lot about, so family traditions, we're going to talk about those for a little bit. So Larry always talks about this no meat Wednesday. Like David, maybe you were not around yet, but Larry, what was it? So yeah, mom decided on at some point in life that we weren't going to eat meat on Wednesdays. So she would just make, she'd cook beans and cornbread and she would put um, um, the salt pork or whatever in the beans. And that was all the meat. And so 
at the time I worked and I drove and stuff. So I knew on Wednesdays when I got off work, um, I worked at McDonald's, but on my way home on Wednesday, I would stop by Burger King and get me a Whopper. That's all I had was a Whopper. I'd eat my Whopper, I come home and welcome the, the the no meat Wednesday. And I ate my beans and my cornbread and mom was happy and she just thought this was just the greatest idea. But had she known what I did before I got home, it would have been a different story. How long did that last? I, uh, they, it, it was still going on when I was there. So I don't know when it stopped because David, uh, obviously was 13 years old me, so I don't know when it ended. But they, they still had a day where they did not eat meat. But for me, I was working. So I was like, Larry, I work. I'd grab me something at work. And I worked at the grocery store. So I'd go to the deli and grab me something to eat before I got home. And then I would be respectful. I still would eat what my mom made. But I definitely got made sure I got my meat in. That's wrong. Yeah. Hey, man, hey, man. I'm the compliant child. I... I did what I was told. So, so Sandra just be walking around hungry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you so, had to. You mom, had to eat your food. You had to eat your food. So I wasn't walking around hungry. I ate my food. <laughs> oh my! So goodness. the enforcer of this uh, no meat or no or no meat Wednesdays was really mom. And so, um, for whatever reason, I don't know why, uh, one day would be reserved not to have meat. But I think mom and dad, or well, I should say mom, learned not to coin it as no meat such and such day. Because there were instances where I was just so oblivious and I'm looking, we'll eat like, uh, you know, uh, pinto beans and cornbread and cabbage. And I'm like, where's the meat at? And they're like, oh, that's what we're having, you know? But they never told me, oh, there's no meat this day. You just got what you got. So uh, I would continue in that no meat situation. My meat and bre- my meat was eating peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That was literally what I would eat all day, every day. It was something that I didn't like, squash, whatever it may be. Uh, my go-to was always peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh my yeah. goodness. That is too much. That's too much. That's so funny. Well, well you know. but Lauren, I have to tell you, the no meat uh, day is still in force. My dad has to live through that. <laughs> Does she have reasoning behind that? Whoa, whoa. Well, Just I because think- she wanna clean <laughs> be up in there. I I just think it's you know her being healthy. You know that's her yeah. her way of being healthy and keeping the family healthy. You know, Lauren, I think some of that too is we were afforded to not be uh, without food, like our our parents. So for them, that was probably a normal uh, means of eating and nourishment for them. We were fortunate to have meat and have all these things that we didn't have to go without. So for them, that was like a good day, you know, for them, that was normal. But for us, it was like, whoa, we're missing out on all the legacies that we recorded by not being surprised as we were as kids. Right, yeah. My grandpa, my grandpa and grandpa, my papa, they did that. But, I mean, that was just the, the slavery mentality that they were raised in that, you know, but that was good eating. So I, I, I understand that. Um, any other family traditions that you... Oh, go ahead. I just... 
can I just say I'm thankful for those days because, you know, as you as you get older and you're raising your kids and there's sometimes you don't have no meat <laughs> and all you have is beans and rice. <laughs> you know, you, you learn to appreciate those those days. Definitely. I would buy the little Farmer John hot hot dog. I mean, not the more breakfast links. So when I was hard on money and so you could get them at the 99 cent store and then, you know, so that was my meat. And so I would fry up a pack of eight and eat one day and I was good for the week two on Sunday. Larry literally still does that. He we we have yes. a pack of Parmesan. Is it Parmesan? No, not it, yeah. Sausages, breakfast sausages. Three sausages, all breakfast sausages. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I know that when I first joined into the family, which was like twelve years ago now. Um, we would go to Thanksgiving. It would be at one, like either David's house or our mom and dad's house. And we'd be like, okay, we're getting ready to go now. And they'd be like, well, you can't leave till we pray. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I mean, it was weird for me at first, but then it became normal. And so I feel like that's one of the traditions, like your, your parents don't let anybody leave the house um, until you guys pray. And so I, I think that that is very, it's amazing. I, I, that you guys all just pray together. Um, and yeah. just the love that you I, have. I would have to, I would have to say it, it's just not on holidays. It's an everyday thing. So like when I go visit my parents, oh, yeah. you know, on the way to church, uh, literally just passing by and saying hi, just before going to work, you know, uh, they're like, Hey, let's go ahead and pray before you go. And, uh, there was a moment in my time where I was like, huh? Like, like, what's the special occasion for right now, you know? But then now, you know, like every time I can anticipate and know, like, okay, we're going to pray. And there's been moments where I'm ready to be in that circle to pray. And they're waiting. And I'm like, hey, aren't we going to be praying? So, you know, we are indeed, my parents have instilled the importance of communing with God, having a personal relationship with Christ because he's real and having a tangible conversation like we're doing right now because he's right there. I wish I would have known that and embraced that. I thought it was just me that they needed to pray over every time I left. So I thought it was just a me thing and not a, a family tradition. No, it is a tradition. And I'll even speak on that being here in Vegas. Even when I call mom and dad, we always end with a prayer. Either mom or dad says a prayer or I'll say a prayer. But it's, it's something that is a strength for our family, I'd say. And Lauren, as you can see, a lot of times we'll send text things like, if we have something going on, I, I ask for prayer for the like Christian travels or for surgeries or things of that nature because we understand our prayer with God personally, but we have a family, I believe, that are strength with strong prayers, and we know prayer works, so we rely on each other and we depend on each other, and it's good to keep each other in that loop because we could be specific because we know we're always praying for each other and the benefits and safety and health of each other, but sometimes you need a specific prayer for a specific issue that you're doing with. So yeah, prayer is definitely a vital part of the McCoy family. Right, yeah, it is. Um, so let me hear about this, the feelings that came about when you all, not David, when all of you older siblings heard that there was another McCoy coming in to make a grand entrance. Like that's eight, 19 years from Larry, 13 years from Michael. Like 
I thought y'all was done. That's what I would have said. But like, what happened? You know, what happened? So tell me how that how that went down. Uh, I'll go first. Um, me, I was excited. Um, I was the youngest for a long time, and I would tease mom and dad, and you know, little things like you guys didn't have another one but that was like years before that and um i embraced it i i was uh shocked because when mom and dad said that i was like no you're joking and they're like no you've been blessed and um i was definitely excited i mean i even spent time talking to david as he was in my mom's stomach and speaking to him and got to witness him kicking and things of the nature like that so I think we had a good, strong bond even before David was here, um, because I would talk to him. I come home from from work, and I would talk to him, and I would speak to my mom, um, and it was something that I embraced. I mean, I know I can speak for all of my siblings. None of us hate each other. I think we all love each other. We all want the best for each other. Um, there's no one that does not talk to each other. Even though we're in distance, we may not speak to each other. You say I can say for myself, but our thoughts are always with each other. And any of us would drop whatever we're doing to help one of our siblings, no matter what. Amen. So, Michael, that. <laughs> Michael, um, how did you name David? Um, well, I was nervous <laughs> because dad was like, okay, you can tell the nurse uh, David's name. It was supposed to be Joshua David, um, but I uh, told the nurse David Joshua. And, and I'm so thankful you did. Yeah, you got it right. And then you know, when dad looked at it, he goes, you know what? That is actually how it should have been. I didn't know that, but that was God intervening. Uh, on the behalf of Naaman David. You know, it just turned out that way. I didn't have anything to do with that. It was God's touching, you know, that moment and the anointing of that moment, so. Anybody else? How'd you feel when David came along? Well, for me, the thing that I remember uh, the most is mom saying that the doctors told her she needed to have an abortion and not have him because she was too old. And when you think about it today, okay, she was 43 years old. Today, they probably wouldn't think much about it, but you know, back then they considered her to be an old lady. And they told her, they said, well, one of you all are not gonna make it through this pregnancy. So you need to figure out, is it gonna be you and you give the baby up now, or you could possibly die when the baby is being born. And my parents are like, nope, we're not going to do it. We trust and we believe God. And, um, you know, whose report do you believe? You know, that song. And so that was just something that just really stuck with me and stayed with me. You know, the whole time there was never a doubt or never a question in their mind as to whether or not they were going to keep this child. And I'm glad they did. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. David's an amazing young man, and I couldn't imagine a family without him. You know, and on that point where Larry was talking about, I remember my dad saying that too. If they're, they were saying birth defects could happen, things that make my parents say, we'll love him or her just the way they are. And we've been blessed with this opportunity. There's no way, like Larry said, that they would end that. Or coming at that pregnancy. So whatever God blesses with, life, death, 
disabilities, whatever it may be, uh, the child will be loved just the same. Yeah, that, um, David was a total shock and surprise, you know, to all of us. But like everybody has stated, you know, he I think he is the the best part of, of all of us. You know, um, yeah, it, he, he's a remarkable young man. He like he's very close in age to my kids. Um, they have a really good relationship with their uncle, David. And he, he's just been so remarkable with them. Um, he's done a lot for them. You know, uh, he would always take my kids out to uh, events, pay for it. Come, they'd come back home, they'd have new shoes or they'd have new clothes. You know, uh, he spent a lot of time with them. And um, I, you know, I couldn't have asked for a, a better little brother. And his little brother has to say, he he didn't just come up with that, you know, just off the cuff. It was literally my brother. And, you know, it's amazing to even just hear him say, he used to talk to me in the womb. And this bond that he and I have is, is so to the point of, uh, you know, that time when Michael Jordan was out and he was doing his thing. And, you know, they had that Gatorade commercial. I want to be like Mike, that little jingle. And uh, it was during the holiday Thanksgiving once again something about thanksgiving days which is actually happens to be my favorite holiday um but uh that song came on and i sung the song out loud muted that uh, you know uh the volume so i could see my rendition of it and i pointed to my brother i was like michael i don't want to be like air michael jordan i want to be like you and so um and, and, and honestly he was a representation and a manifestation of his upbringing with my older siblings all of them they literally um, are a blessing. So you, for them to ever say that I'm the best piece, I'm just a reflection radiating the best piece of each and every one of you. And then ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, mom and dad, uh, just the remarkable story of that in itself coming to full circle. Aww. So Larry, tell me about this story, or not me, you've told me a million times, but I still get a kick out of it about this basketball story with um, David. So our our dad, as Sandra alluded to earlier, um, he he was supposed to play Major League Baseball. Um, so, you know, we grew up in an athletic family and very competitive and everything. And so I was working actually in the school district that David was going to school. And so I would come over to the house and, you know, hang out with him at the house and play basketball with him. Um, used to take him out to um, Lancaster City Park and used to take him out there as a, a high school kid playing with these old men and David would school these guys up. So we're playing in the in the front driveway in the yard one day. And, you know, so I, I'm the big brother, you know, I'm it's me. It's about me. And I was still in good shape at the time and I played basketball. And so David had the ball and his, his ball. He's a lefty and I forgot about that. And so I set him up so he wouldn't go left and he didn't, he crossed over, went to the right. And so as he was going by me, I'm like, he can't score. And so I bumped him into the, into the bushes and said, foul, your ball, check up top. And he gave it right back to him, but he wasn't going to drive by me and score on me. That was not going to happen that day. And then wasn't yeah. there something about him playing in the house? Oh yeah. Mom and dad. Oh, well, yeah. Go so ahead and tell it. 
Tell one day, because... you know, I, I, I went by mom and dad's house and I knew David was there. So I drive up and the housing um, complex or the housing track that we lived in was right next door to our church. So there's a lot of church members that live in the housing development as well. I pull up to the house and I hear this music. And I'm like, wait, where is that coming from? This is loud. So I continued walk up to the house. And so mom and dad had a storm door. Huh? 25 cents. 25 cents. No, this time it was... (laughs) <laughs> it was, it was, I think it was Eminem that he was bumping at this time. And I walk up to the house and he's got it playing loud. I open the door. He's in the house with his basketball, dribbling the ball around the house, listening to Eminem. And I'm like, David, what are you doing? And he looked at me like, what are you doing? I live here. And I'm like, dude, you cannot do this. You got this music playing loud out here. You shouldn't be playing it that loud anyway. And you're dribbling the ball in the house. And and he just looked at me like, yeah, this is just how I roll. And so I'm like, bruh, you cannot do this. Turn that stuff off and shut the door and, you know, and cut it out. So. Why you got crossed up? You know what I'm saying? I was all up in the elements, but just, you know what I mean? Run circles over folks. And so was like, I think that was that. Westbrook ment- or you know Kobe Bryant mentality that I was trying to touch scratch the surface of but uh, it was all wrong and I'm so thankful he stopped by that day because uh, mom and dad came home early so oh. yeah that wouldn't go well yeah. so David how was it being like the only child because Michael you moved out how old was David when you moved out I left home when I was 22 okay so yeah. David how was it being the only child yeah so you know like i said that whole relationship that my brother and i had michael and i um as soon as he left and it's crazy to think about that but i remember at uh, the age of 10 a piece of me was gone like that was the time that starting point of me questioning validity of my mom and dad being my parents that i felt like they were covering up for one of my siblings uh you know they didn't want to own me they didn't want me like all that stuff. And so I just begin to have some form of resentment. And, uh, but with my brother um, leaving, that was, like I said, he was my idol in a sense. Now I wouldn't say necessarily an idol, but he was uh, someone I wanted to pattern my life after. And I did, as you heard the experiences of with how I am with my nieces and nephews, that's exactly what my brother did. We literally on Saturdays would go uh, to the movies, uh, to Mr. MC's arcade, and then to Tommy's. That was just a tradition. That was something that we always do. And we would also watch playoff basketball on Sundays. We would wait and watch that first before going to movies and all that, get some hot tamales, like everything under the sun. That was it. So that was my lifestyle. And then for my brother to walk out on your boy, you know what I'm saying? Showering all that love on me, I was just lost. I was just lost. And so then I was like, I'm left to just have mom and dad who is old as they can't be outside and playing with me and all that stuff to look after. And they don't even, you know, uh, buy me the Nikes. They don't buy me the Jordans. I got these Air Force, you know, I forgot what brand it was from Payless. And so like all that stuff right there, your boy's credit, you know, took a plummet like our stock market, you know what I'm saying? So, (laughs) um, that whole while I didn't have that sim- sibling relationship 
uh, as all my other siblings have, you know, experienced it. I did have it with my nieces and nephews. And so I had to brand it because I always get questioned, how in the world are you, your uh, nieces and, you know, your nieces and nephews, uncle, and the age gap and all that stuff, it makes no sense. You're lying. So I would be like, yeah, they're my, my, my brothers and sisters. I was just sick and tired of trying to explain it, how that, all that worked out. But uh, just with that in itself, you know, the upbringing was simply um, no tolerance in the sense of what mom and dad says must go. Even on Fridays, as I love basketball and playing, I always wanted to go play with the neighborhood friends. But on Fridays, I was in the backyard pulling weeds. Um, and I would always have to, and I, you know, at, at one of the holiday sessions, I was saying, man, I was 24 years, of, uh, 24, uh, 24 years a slave out there on a Friday night, you know, with my parents working. And so I literally would go do the Zacchaeus thing, go climb up high up in the tree, trying to hope that they don't see me, don't hear me, that I laugh and all those type of things. That, that was the kind of pedigree of young men right here. So, um, I, I was special if you will. Maybe the doctor was kind of right about that. I didn't have special needs, but that boy was special. Oh, I was on that special brand. <laughs> You're special. So, can everybody answer this question at the same time? Okay. Is David spoiled? No. 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 So, I, I used didn't to, answer. I used to think David was spoiled. But then, um, because another situation that happened, we're at the house, my dad tells David to do something. Me and Sandra were sitting on the couch. Dad tells him to do something, and he went, and me and Sandra, like, jumped in our seat. And we're waiting for dad to come and gaffle him up, and mom and dad didn't say a word. They didn't do anything, and he turned around and just walked out the room. And we looked at each other like, whoa, if we would even thought to gasp when they told us to do something, they would have been down our throat. And so that was like, this boy is out of control. And then mom and dad had cases of soda in the garage. We didn't have soda in the house when, when we were growing up. So yeah, at that moment in time, during that period of time, I thought he was spoiled, but then after the fact and listening to the stories and the things that he went through, it's like, oh man, he probably went through worse than what we did. You know, how bad we thought we had it. It was probably even that much more challenging for him. So I don't think he's spoiled. No, Sansan, you didn't answer. So what's your answer? Um, yeah, I don't think that he's spoiled either. I just, I think that there's a difference, you know, in the, in the way that we all were, were raised. You know, um, so for the the three of us that came first, um, I think my parents learned, <laughs> you know, and then they did differently with the other two that came behind. So, so I would I would say no, it's just a different um, education or learning lesson that they they had. Because there's a different yeah. time frame, right? I mean. Yeah. Not- 1985, it was totally different than when y'all was born way back. I would, I would say that Thank you, Lauren. Are you trying to say we're old? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying that's the same thing like with our children. It's the same thing is when we had our boys, obviously younger and they were closer in age
we're more mature. We're more set and stable as parents and we could do more now for the family, for the kids. So they were in the lean times <laughs> as growing up. So there was a lot of different things we couldn't get them. We had to do things in multiples to enable all together. And then now as the younger children come along, yeah, they have a little bit more like things for their rooms, TVs, things of that nature that they didn't, they had to share. Now they have their own <laughs> and they're like, whoa, and they have a game system or whatever, but it's just, it's not that we did everything that we could in the time frame that we did in the stages of our life. So we were able to provide as much for our children in different phases. So maybe they look at maybe Michaela is like, oh yes, you have this and that. She's not spoiled. It's just we, we have we've been at our job longer. <laughs> we've been doing them a little bit longer, so we're a little bit more stable, you know. So I think that might be some of the aspects of team if one might say, oh well, they might just well no, it's not in that sense. It's just our parents were more stable at that point and can do more and then they didn't have to do as much because there weren't as many mouths in the house to feed either so yeah that definitely makes sense um so michael what is your favorite thing about each of your siblings let's start with larry okay with larry actually with larry he had a lot of patience with me <laughs> because as a young brother uh challenging him and and messing with him in that sense there were times and i look back now things that i did i used to mess with him when he was asleep and wanted to get sleep i'd wake him up and sneak out and run and try to act like i didn't do anything and running to mom and like, i don't know why he's facing me mom i don't know why he's facing me but lo and behold i was up there creating an element and he never went off and he would say, Michael, you need to stop. You know, when he got turned to that point, I knew I had to leave him alone, but he definitely had a lot of patience with me. He would let me tag along with him. He'd always, he'd never tell me no. Anytime I'd have asked him, hey, can I go with you? Oh yeah, he'd make room with me for him. Um, Sandra, she is someone that always has given me positive impact. She's always giving me encouragement. Um, she always has that right time and phrase for you. You know, she may not know it, but she'll always reach out to you at the right time. Um, and she'll reach out in the sense that gives you that hope. You're like, man, I'm glad I have a sister like that. And it makes you want to treat your daughter, your wife, any other women you're with, with that same respect because of the love that she shows me. Um, Horace, he was one that I think he knew because I was the youngest for the longest. Like anytime he was at college, he'd say, hey, you want to come up for the summer for a week and spend time with me? He'd let me come up there and stay with him. He gave me my freedom in that, in that regard. Uh, he let me watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> that was my all-time favorite movie. I, I'll never forget Bueller. that. Um, Bueller. Yeah. He took me to my first Laker game. Uh, Lakers versus Celtics, I never forget that. So he was always one that gave me that outlet when I needed to get away uh, from home to give me that space. Uh, David, um, he was someone that always was, uh, I knew he would look up to me in that sense and I knew I had to uh, 
give him some things like if he says if I bought him some things and that was my way of thanking my parents for allowing me to stay at home be at home as long as they did they didn't force me to leave um, I was allowed to continue my education after high school and I went to, to junior college for a little bit but for me they wouldn't take money from me they wouldn't take rent from me so I would buy, you know, groceries and things of that nature to show my sense and appreciation to them. And everything I could not give them, I wanted to help them out with David and give him some of those things that I knew my parents weren't going to buy him the Nikes and those things of that nature. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, we can go shopping. So that was my way of uh, uh, helping him in that regard. So for David, he helped me molded me into some of the things I do as a father with my kids. So. And so this is a question for any of you that want to answer, but looking back now, would you have changed anything parenting wise that you, the way you were raised and, um, and what would you have kept the same? What would, what did, what have you kept the same? I'll go first. So as you can hear to a degree, it's really coming out that I was a little bit spoiled. And I was spoiled to be able to glimpse into uh, my sibling's life. I was able to uh, gain from their successes. I was able to gain from uh, their, their, their losses and learn from it um, and make a decision, make a choice. And it's kind of like when Christ was telling them, you know, his desire, you know, the children of Israel, today I place before you life or death, blessing or cursing, choose you. Uh, but I tell you to choose life so that you and your family may live. And I was able to get a glimpse of that in every one of my siblings' life. And so, um, you know, if anything that I would change of my upbringing, I would just uh, have a more of a understanding for my father's position because I'm married. And so I understand that uh, as a husband, you're supposed to band around the uh, responsibility of protecting, providing, and nurturing, and caring, and all these different types of elements, and as well get kicked around in the world and not treasured and valued, and yet still hold it together. And um, that's exactly um, where I'm humbled to say that my dad did that really, really well without having an example. And then yet keep the peace and still build up his wife and not tear her down and hear her and love her in a godly manner as God has called her. I called him too. And so um, my mom was the eye of the storm, if you will, if you want to just put it that way of a hurricane, right? And my dad, to the best of his ability, all I got is an umbrella to cover you, bro. But you got to get under the umbrella, right? And I wish I would have seen it from the light of understanding my mom's up of upbringing and experience. She really was viewing life from a storm uh, survival mode lifestyle. And that's shaped her, woven her to view me as I got to protect her from that kind of lifestyle. And so there's moments where I felt like a puzzle piece, like I was a little pawn on a chessboard. I can't move too much. I can't even move backwards. And um, honestly, grateful for that now, but then it was a it was a struggle. It was a struggle. Anybody else want to answer that question? So you, said, you know, I would. I would. Oh, go ahead, Michael. Oh, for me, I would say you know I think I was the only one that wasn't allowed to date or go to their prom. 
Uh, so I would change that. <laughs> yeah. Fam <laughs> saying we gonna have a prom for you. We'll just do one. Yes, yes. For my 60th, we're gonna have a prom for me. There <laughs> we go. We got that. We got it covered. <laughs> Y'all remember when I sent you an invitation. All Bring right. <laughs> what year? What year was prom? What year would prom have been? 1980, 80, 81, and probably around there. So we'll yep. have a 1980s prom for Sansa when she turns 60. That'll be the theme. I'll get All with Amanda. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody else want to answer before I move on to the next? All right. So what's the biggest foundation? This is a question for Larry. What's the biggest foundational lesson your parents taught you that's carried over to the present? Um, I guess it would go kind of tie into what David said. Um, just the way that my father um, treated our mom. And I used to, like, there was a side of me at, a, at some point in time where I'm like, you know, I think mom is taking advantage of dad because it didn't matter. So we look, you know, living in Lancaster, it'd be ice cold or snowy cold in the wintertime. And so when mom would come home, dad would run to the front door and he'd hope open up the door and he'd lift up his shirt and she put her cold hands underneath him and he would just take it for her and hug her and he, I'm going to make you warm. And so it didn't matter what was going on. It could be 12, 12 o'clock midnight and my mom could say, oh, I have a taste for, and my dad would be out the door going to find what she wanted. And I'm thinking, mom, you couldn't really, you couldn't wait till tomorrow because you know the man's going to leave right now to go find what you're looking for. But just to watch him do that. And I remember my dad used to, you know, just send her flowers and cards for no reason um, whatsoever and just to see him um, express that love towards her is something that's always um, you know, it's left an imprint on me anyone else okay so what's oh, one thing go ahead Dick, uh, Michael. I would say also hard work because that's one thing that uh, both of our parents uh, instilled in us. I know there were times where we'd get up at 4 or 5 in the morning getting up doing yard work or things around the house with cutting wood. I didn't realize that at that time it was molding me into the adult person that I am and I've always been able to have a job, get a job, keep a job and always have been admired for working hard. And if you, the best people, you don't have to ask me and my hard workers, my coworkers will speak for me. And I think that's one of the things where just letting your uh, your actions show that. You don't have to say one thing, but how you act and what you do will speak louder than anything can say to yourself. So I know that's one thing, the hard work that both of my parents uh, have and did and still know. That was the foundation. From, oh, go ahead, foundation. I'm sorry, and that, that to bring it all together, the foundation of all that was what they instilled was uh, seeking Christ first. Like literally they had a personal relationship with Christ. They uh, woke us up early in the morning to do devotionals. Like um, we, we even before we could even read, we had to just sit down and listen, don't interrupt, pay attention. 
and then they would break it down in practical ways for us to uh, be involved. Um, and, and so that is something that is uh, impactful to this very day. I remember a moment where I, um, you know, was making fun, sadly, of my mom when she couldn't read uh, some of the scripture passages and she was stuttering on a couple of them. And my dad checked me in that moment and he was like, don't you ever, boy, do you not know what your mom has endured. She didn't even get to, you know, go to, you know, complete, you know, certain level of school. She had to go pick cotton and that was real life stuff. This is not just a story. And that was devotion in itself uh, to where this is how you lay down your life for uh, your love uh, sacrificially as Christ has, uh, because not once do you ever see Christ uh, bring down the character of who God is. Neither does God ever uh, question and throw shade against Christ and all the work that he's done. If anything, it's all in one to glorify and say uh, a one sweet sound uh, that he saves and he loves to the utmost. And that's what I witnessed, you know, even in those devotionals and just in a practical way for my, my parents. And Lauren, can I just add in as well, you know, what I, what I, what sticks to me about my dad and then I, well, first I'll share with my, about my mom, what sticks with me about my mom, my mom would always say her favorite scripture is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, that was everything that she would always quote that, you know, whenever there was some doubt or anything, she would quote that scripture. But with regard to my dad, I just remember, and this may have just been with the three older of us, but witnessed my dad taking his own money, going to the grocery store, buying fruits, nuts, vegetables, whatever he could buy, toiletry, all kinds of stuff. And we had, we used to have a brown station wagon and we also had a green one too. And, but he would get that station wagon and he would pack it with that food. And we'd be driving around uh, the area, finding people to give uh, the food to, you know? Um, and I that just left an impact on my heart. And I think that's why I do have a heart for, you know, giving to the homeless and, and helping them out and just finding people that I can uh, give to. And I don't know I don't believe that we were rich. We may be, we may have been middle class, but um, I don't. I think we probably all felt like we were rich, you know, in in our um, growing up. But I know when I look back and I think about the things that we had, like we had powdered milk, we had tang, uh, <laughs> you know, we we had um, things that. I would say people that aren't affluent um, have experienced, you know, um, but my mom and dad always provided for us, made sure we had food. We never went without. We had clothes. Um, so those are the things that were impactful for me. And I think that transcended into me raising my kids as well. I never wanted them to feel like they were uh, without, um, that they didn't have. Um, and it's funny that my youngest son, he thought we were rich. <laughs> he all, he thought we were rich. And so I'm like, okay, then I did a good job. I did a good job. I'd say just on the outside looking in that, um, 
one, your parents did an amazing job raising all of you. Two, I can see how the similarities of caring for people are in each and every one of you. I mean, from San San just coming to our home, taking care of our kids for us while I was recovering um, from David and his family, uh, just checking in on us and, and the visits and things like that, the interactions that we've had and just helping us with um, furthering our, our spirituality and, and things of that nature. Um, Michael just opening his home. I didn't even know Michael. And we went to go visit um, in Las Vegas a while, many years ago. And, and just him opening up his home and just like throwing out a smorgasbord of of entree all y'all can cook but and and just the 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 hospitality that you all have um even with my husband larry um just his heart for people and and caring for people uh making sure that you know the the servant heart you guys all have that servant heart um, and that's a blessing. And I pray that my kids inherit that from the McCoy gene. Um, and I mean, they're always in it. The, all of our kids are always, they're always serving and wanting to serve. And I just pray that that continues um, throughout the years. And just uh, the welcome, the welcoming that you guys have given me being part of the family, not knowing me really too much, but um, just- And I have to say right there, you're not part of the family, you are family. So that's what that is. That's the real McCoy DNA on it. Because as you spell our last name, it's capital M-C, capital C-O-Y. And all that other nonsense with the, the lowercase after the capital is a fraud. So they would probably say part of the family, but you are family. That's what that is. Thank you, thank you. So, um, so my last question before we close out is how has the way you were raised impacted your parenting skills? And we'll start with Sam Sam. Um, you know, <laughs> when, when you're growing up and, and you reflect back, um, I think what you see is that you do still do a lot of things that your parents um, did because they were good and they worked, you know. Um, I don't think that I veered very far from what my parents uh, did. I think mainly for my kids, you know, I allowed them to um, be able to give me their opinion, you know. Um, uh, so, and um, that was something that I wanted to make sure that they felt like they had a voice and they had a choice in the decisions that were being made in our family. Of course, mom, you know, ruled, <laughs> but at least I, I want you to be able to express yourself. And um, I'm so grateful now that my kids, all three of my kids still want to be a part of my life. You know, you don't see that often that kids still want to be around their family. And um, I'm just so grateful for that. So um, and all my kids are are givers, um, you know, as well. Um, my oldest son, and when I think about it, it makes me want to cry. But he always made sure that he reached back and took care of us. His, his, see, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
He always reached back and made sure he was taking care of his brother and his sister and me. You know, he'd send money, money back when he went into the Air Force. And um, my youngest son has a really good heart and he's a giver as well. And you guys know Amanda as well. She's very caring and loving also. So um, thankful to God that whatever I did, <laughs> you know, it worked out, but it was only because of him. It was really only because of him. Michael. Um, yes, like Sandra said, I didn't veer too far away from, you know, how I was raised. Um, definitely, I know the benefits of giving a parameters to your children. Uh, they may not understand it in the beginning, but as they get older, and in my bio, I didn't mention uh, the grandchildren I have, but I have six grandchildren. So they, I can see the things that we instilled into them as how they're parenting too. So I know that they can take some of the benefits and pluses that they learned from being raised by myself and myself. Um, but yeah, I think giving them some structure because um, I know we had one of our sons that he challenged some of the things that we enlisted and he had to learn a couple hard lessons, but he said, hey, mom, dad, I'm sorry for that little snip that I had. And he was remorseful for that, but that's the growth that he had. He knew that we weren't trying to run his life, but we were trying to actually help him move forward. Um, and that's the joy, I guess, of seeing, you don't want to ever see any of your children go through anything, but you definitely want to see if they learn that lesson and don't repeat what they did. So I'd say that that was a, a success. Um, we have given our children, you know, freedom, like Sandra said, to kind of uh, interject some of their feelings. It may not always change the outcome, <laughs> but the perspective is heard. And in the end, you know, we do, as long as they're under this household, <laughs> they have to abide by certain rules and respect those rules. So. Larry? Um, so can you like form the question, phrase it differently or something? <laughs> no. What, how you want me to phrase it? Cause say it again. The question was, I don't even remember the question now after all that, Larry. You know, oh, you David, what was the anything? question? Would you change anything that you've learned from, you know, uh, you know, parenting from mom and dad and oh, you know, yeah, where are yeah, some yeah. things that you're doing, you know. How That's right. How have your parenting on your kids? So, yeah, I, I remember I was going to, I was like, I mean, they say the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. And so with my oldest kids, I was like hardcore, like, dad was with us and I remember saying at some point in time growing up I will never do this to my kids some of the things that our parents did not that they were bad but then I remember one day um, I was disciplining one of my one of my kids and it just hit me you're doing exactly what you said you would not do and not that what my parents did was wrong but as you grow and as people grow, I am not, my kids are not who I was to my parent. And so 
Um, not that I, I regret any of the way that I was raised, but it made me have to think about, is that what's appropriate for my kids growing up? And if not, then I need to tailor what I'm doing um, to fit my kids. Um, and so a lot of the things are, you know, I mean, the discipline and holding accountable, making sure that schoolwork is done nice and neat and stuff like that. Those are things that um, are things that I will continue to carry on and continue to do. But I just appreciate the way that our parents loved on us and how they raised us. And so that's what I want to do as well. Yeah, I would say um, I'm so grateful for just the, the intentionality of my parents. Um, you know, it was always in the face of my father for the most part. Now, mom would always, you know, say, son, you know, you need to honor your, your father. You should be giving him a hard time. But my dad would take the time to just really break it down. We would go and have uh, father and son lunch, um, you know, together just to talk and you know, in those moments, I just thought we were just gonna go go eat to my, you know, at my favorite place. But it was really more relational. That right over, we were just talking. Hey, how's life? What's going on? You know, how you doing? You know, do you understand why it's important to do your chores and all those other things? And do you see the vision, son? And then that would morph into me opening up my heart and just having a real conversation to understand, oh, this is the time to really kind of express what's going on in my life. You know, how certain things that they might be doing uh, is not working. Where's that coming from, dad? You know, I really think mom's the boss. Like, so what's the deal here? You know, type of moment. And then, you know, my dad would say, you know, son, you know, I I'm telling you right here, right now, that I'm not, I'm not a perfect father. And I'm not, I can't be a perfect father. But there is a perfect father, it's Christ. And so in the areas where I have done wrong, I would encourage you, son, to learn from those things. But if you don't learn from those things and you do the same things that where you said did not work for you and my parenting, then you're worse than me. And I'm telling you, son, don't be worse than me. And so uh, with all that being said, with a lot of their prayers and their willingness to you know, cast vision, I literally, they're lifeline callers like i call them you know to buzz a friend on that million dollar uh you know uh, game show of life to parenting your kids they're always that infinite lifeline thankfully at this point in time and they always give perspective in such a sound way because i only have two kids but they had five plus if you will and they are sane and whole and healthy at the age that they are 79 to have grace about their care uh, for their children and for their grandkids. And so the legacy that I want to carry on is, is still uh, maintaining a wholesome relationship with Christ. The importance of that, I don't care what the world says, I don't care what the culture they're coming up in, that that's not something that you ever waver on. And then, you know, just understanding, as Larry said, each and every one of us are individually made, wonderfully, beautifully, wonderfully made. And, and our temperaments, our characters, though they are somewhat similar, they're not all the same so the approach that I would have with my daughter it's not gonna work with my son and vice versa and I've learned how to uh I'm not doing priceline negotiating with my kids but I am going to set the standard there has to be a standard and it has to come from uh me as the father of the home because I have to answer to God um and then as well be a model for my wife to also enforce so that the kids cannot see that there's cracks to divide and conquer. 
And so um, I strive to have conversations. And when I cross the line with my kids, I own it up. I own up to it and I talk to them about it. I explain to them where, you know, I've fallen short in and they might view it as something that um, that wasn't a productive way of disciplining them. But at least they hear my heart and then I can point to them. This is another reason why we need a savior. This is why Christ has come to bridge the gap, to, you know, fill in our shortcomings. And so that's why we put our faith in him. But he's a good, loving father that will ever do these moments where he has to say, hey, I'm sorry about how I did that moment and correcting you and, you know, making you feel little and losing hope and, and trust in me. So um, I think that that is something that I've learned from them. And I, again, I've been spoiled as the baby to be able to learn that and apply that with my, my kids. Lauren, before you wrap up, I, I like those last questions that you had because I'm curious to see what we all think. Like, who's, okay, can we do okay, that? So we'll end it. We'll end it with that. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you guys these questions, and you're gonna tell me who the answer, the person, wait, whether it's. Wait a minute. Can I say something before you get to your closing? So I always tell people that my sister is my best friend in the whole wide world, and I never fail to share that with people. But the other thing I think that's very interesting is that with the five of us, we all legitimately love each other. And I don't think we had moments. I mean, Junior was a a big instigator. um, And I don't know how much Michael and David got to see this, but like in playing sports and stuff, he would always like instigate and he would be the announcer and he would always win or most of the times he would win. And that would be the most frustration that we ever had was in those situations. But other than that, we all loved each other. We all got along with each other. Um, We didn't fight with each other. And even telling Leilani that now, she doesn't believe that me and my sister have never had a fight a day in our life because her and Langston will find nothing to fight about just so they can fight, (laughs) you know? That's funny. So you guys can shout these answers out. Um, so who moved out first? Horace. I, I thought I did. I, I moved out at 21. When did Horace oh. move out? Oh, you mean age-wise, okay. So yeah, what yeah, age yeah. did Horace move out? Yeah, I think Horace he moved out first because he, he went to college. So... Yeah, so he so, moved out first. Yeah, he moved okay. out first. And then who started dating first? Horace. <laughs> and how'd that go over with the family? Um, well, Horace is a little like David. I think the thing is with I know even with Harris is, I mean, I don't want to get off topic with that, but staying on the topic, even like when I dated, because uh, obviously I married out of my race, but he would talk to mom and dad and tell them, hey, he, he got to he, leave him alone, basically, you know, he's made his choice, and obviously he wouldn't bring someone into the household that would be disrespectful to you or to him or to her. So I think he op- he was always an advocate after the college. He was always an advocate for whatever he did. He would always give us perspective to them and look, have mom and dad look through our eyes. 
And I could say he always stepped up into that. We weren't allowed to date, but we were told you better marry somebody that's a Christian. Amen. <laughs> hey, that's what we were told. Okay, and so who's the loudest? David. Junior. Say David. It's gonna be between the oldest. I say oldest Junior. and the youngest. Yeah, I say Horace. Really? You say Horace, Michael? Larry, yeah, you say Horace? Yep. Yeah. I think David's the loudest. Like even even in quiet time, David's the loud. I would agree. I would agree. That's where his son gets it from. He he laughs. Uh, Okay, so who's the quietest? Michael Sean. Yeah, yeah, Michael for sure. I agree with that one. Um, And who got the best grades? Horace. The hardest one, I think it's a tie. Uh, I say Larry. I say Larry. I say Larry because who you say Larry? I I don't think it's hard. I think it's me. (laughs) Yeah, I do too. And who got the worst grade? I did. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. Wait, that's interesting. I want to go back to the to the. Because uh, Horace never studied and he was always on honor roll. I was always on honor roll. Larry never studied either. I did all my work before I got home because I needed to play basketball when I got off work. Wow. And so I had all my stuff done before I left campus. And okay. yeah, I had See, I had straight A's throughout all of high school. Okay. Well, report cards and compare. They might be. <laughs> I can tell you right here, right now. You know, I, I literally was, you know, balling. I was really heading on that path. And I think if you polled my siblings and family and friends, that, that they would say, if I stay that straight and narrow, if I didn't have that sidetrack with my schooling and uh, getting lost in the shuffle uh, uh, of not applying myself, um, I, I honestly think I would have been able to do something close, maybe even internationally. Um, but it was because I didn't apply myself and it's something that I always tell the youth and you know my nieces and nephews and everyone I possibly can who can who, who would listen don't stutter stutter on the grades apply yourself do what you're supposed to do that is the ticket to many many opportunities so who got along the best I think Larry and I it's like total different decades so we'll go yeah. with, we'll go with that yeah we'll go well then who did Horace get along with he was but, the instigator he was himself oh my god and then who so who had along the least because David and Michael had fights. No way. It was Harrison. I was. Yeah, Michael and I was close. I was tied to the hip. I was a shadow. Yeah. Yeah, Larry, would you say it was Harrison me? Yeah, because you and I didn't. That was my girl. Sandra used to fight kids at school for me. (laughs) So, yeah, we was, we was, we was connected. And yeah. last question, I think I know the answer to this one, but who was the troublemaker? Baby boy, that special one. 
I think it's Oops, between baby. you and Horace because Horace sound like he did some stuff. <laughs> well, see, see, David, what you don't understand about Junior is he did it and he would be sly about his. So, you know, you just did what you was going to do. Yeah, I was cold-blooded. Like, I literally told mom and dad, look, at the end of the day, you can tell me all you want to do, but it's up to me to make that choice. And I was able to still, you know, still have a voice to say it. And I laid out on the flow and able to talk to everyone right now. And it looks you know like you got all your teeth, too. Oh, well, it's glistening. <laughs> because of David, because of David, I was an advocate that at a certain age, people need to stop having kids. <laughs> because <laughs> he got away with everything. Uh, and it's like the way the way David acted with my parents is the way a grandchild acts with the grandparents. True. And so it's like, no, they need to stop. You can't have kids after like forty because <laughs> you just change as a parent. Larry, you're tired. You're tired Larry. at that point. Yes. We don't have the energy. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all so much for being part of the show. I uh, thank you for your time and your participation. And no I'll catch y'all later. Hey, thank God bless you. you. Thank thank you. you. It's been fun. Thank you. Thank you for having us.